the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thomas Jefferson was to the Declaration of Independence, so was Gregory of Nyssa to the Nicene Creed. And Gregory also wrote The Life of Moses, which is a guide to the Christian life, where he explains that passages from the Bible sometimes need a literal and at other times a non-literal interpretation. For example, where something morally wrong is commanded by God, such as stealing from the Egyptians, Gregory said we should take that allegorically. He interpreted God's command to take the Egyptians' treasures to mean that faith should bring the riches of Egyptian learning into its own understanding of the world and God. Gregory believed that any biblical interpretation that leads Christians deeper into virtue is commendable. For him, that's the point of reading the Bible. In God's hands, it's a tool for the cure of souls. So here we go. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If we were to imply these instructions literally, then we all would be a mess, now wouldn't we? That was a poem in case you missed it. (laughs) How then can we interpret this? What might God be telling us this morning that can help us in the cure of souls? Let's begin with a description of our souls. I used the one from Thomas Aquinas, and I laid it out for you on the day that I was installed as dean when I said that our work in this cathedral would be the cure of souls. I hope it bears repeating. In biblical Greek, the word for soul is psyche, which means life. For Aquinas, our soul is our life in God in all of its complexity. He spoke of the soul as having natural faculties or powers. These powers are like a ladder with three steps. From bottom to top, the levels are vegetative, sensitive, and rational. The vegetative powers are the ones that humans share with plants and animals. These are our powers for nutrition, growth, and reproduction. From top to bottom in this life, our souls are marvels of organic chemistry. The sensitive powers include touch, taste, sight, and smell, but also more subtle powers of perception. For example, Aquinas spoke of our estimative power to recognize the difference between something that is useful or useless, friendly or unfriendly. This is our see-something-say-something reflex. Additionally, the sensitive powers include, he said, 11 kinds of emotion. Love, desire, delight, hate, aversion, aversion, sorrow, fear, daring, hope, despair, and anger. For details about all of that, watch the evening news. Dogs and cats have all these lower powers, and as animals, so do we. Like Aristotle, Aquinas called humans the rational animal. Our rational powers are what set us apart 
from pigs and elephants and flying squirrels. There are just two rational powers, the intellect and the will. And together, those two drive our moral choices. And here's how that works. Our wills are drawn towards a variety of vegetative, sensitive, rational, and spiritual goals, attractions. Our intellect decides which of these magnetic targets suits the moment. All, from the vegetative on up, are derived from God who is their author. But not all are right for the given moment. When the, with the full picture in view, Aquinas said, a clear-sighted intellect will see that all good comes ultimately from God and will guide our will to God who is the author of all of it. So throughout our lives, our souls are on the move in one direction or another. At my installation, we heard St. Paul speaking to that process to the church at Corinth. This is my prayer, he said, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. And back then I said, love that overflows with knowledge is the cure of souls. Or as I like to put it, open eyes, soft hearts, strong hands. I said, that's what we'll be working towards for these next several years. That's what Jesus wants, and it's what he's working towards in this morning's gospel. Open eyes, soft hearts, warm, strong hands. And so here's the full dose. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. We can quickly rule out a literal interpretation because it would make no sense. If a lustful thought were truly equal to an afternoon in a motel room, then the millions of times men and women have resisted temptation and made the faithful choice would mean nothing to God or to their marriage. And we all know better. Of such choices, loving marriages, happy families, and strong societies are made. On the other hand, Jesus' commands make perfect sense as an allegory for things that happen in our souls. The rational powers, intellect and will, are eye and hand. A hand moves by instinct, habit, or the Holy Spirit toward any a variety of vegetable, sensitive, rational, or spiritual attractions. This one or that one. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I read where someone said he'd see a woman and just grab her where it felt good. In some animals, that is acceptable behavior. In human animals who have been made for higher purposes, it isn't. Augustine said that sins are misguided choices in the search for happiness. If your hand, your will, your power to choose reaches out for something that is unworthy of yours or someone else's dignity, or higher purpose, then cut it off, so to speak. 
According to Aquinas, the intellect, our eyes, are here to guide our hand, our choices. From birth, we have the power to choose from among, from among a variety of values, principles, and purposes. And when we notice that the one we've chosen is getting us in trouble or holding us back or doing someone harm, it's time to pluck out that value, principle, or purpose, or at least to cut it down to size. Switching metaphors, Thoreau called that marching to a different drummer. I'll call it dancing to a different tune. Because it isn't just one good thing, the drum that moves us. The clarinet of romance, the saxophone of fun, the piano of parenthood, faith's electric organ, the xylophone of politics, these all move us. If your sax causes you to sin, tone it down or try guitar. Of such on such choices hang the meaning of our lives. What is true of individuals can be said of nations. Let's expand the allegory. Metaphorically, nations have souls. We have vegetative powers for nutrition, growth, and reproduction. I'm thinking of the bones of law and infrastructure, the blood of commerce, and the hormones of sports and entertainment. The Super Bowl is a vegetative blowout. Moving up the ladder, our sensitive powers are exercised through arts, higher education, and our better moments of political expression. So what would count as a nation's intellect and will, our eye and hand? For the eye, perhaps our governing philosophy, and for the hand, how about the three branches of our government? For people, life is challenging at times. The same is true of nations. In some ways, democracy intensifies these challenges. Since power resides ultimately with us as voters, we bear the burden of responsibility. We are the arm that moves the hand. We maybe are tempted to grab whatever feels good. The word for that political temptation is demagoguery. It's an old problem, and it's a problem across the political spectrum. Demagoguery is government with vegetative and sensitive powers in full, at full throttle and the eye closed. Where should our eye be in a national debate about refugees and immigrants? I speak as a Christian. To our eye, security cannot be the ultimate concern. From one end of the Bible to the other, and words to be taken both literally and not, we are commanded, not advised, but commanded, to show hospitality to strangers and to tend to the wounds of the man who was beaten by robbers and left bleeding in a ditch on the road to Jericho. Atheists may feel free to disregard him. We do not. If security is not of utmost concern to us, should it be of no concern at all? Of course not. If that were so, we would open our gates to people fleeing countries with terrible viral epidemics, heedless of the impact on the people here. I don't know anyone who thinks that would be responsible, though it surely creates hardships for the refugees. Just as in people the intellect and will give due regard to nutrition, growth, and reproduction, governments are rightly mindful of policy effects on their own people's jobs and safety. I lived in New York on 9-11. We stayed and raised our children there, 
in the trust that the hand of government would be exercised with due regard to national security. Even compassion presents us with hard choices sometimes. Watching the news and reading the opinion pages now, the question no one seems to be asking is, what eye can help us sort good policy from bad? John Stuart Mill taught us that we should be guided by the rule of the greatest good for the greatest number. That political philosophy has been strong in our country from its founding. But another great Enlightenment philosopher, Immanuel Kant, offered a different guide that hews much closer to the Bible. Kant taught us that we should do what we would have others do were they in our position. That's the golden rule. And I think it's the eye that we need right now. Applying it to refugees and immigrants, I would have any great nation be both generous and strong. So I would have us be that country now. Generous. Give us your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, yearning to be breathe free. And strong, bold, daring, resolute in fighting ISIS, of whose terrors refugees are made. Too much military arm or too little, great nations can sin in both ways. And ours, of course, has done so. Again, the Bible. No, Augustine, again. Sins are misguided choices in the search for happiness. Let the great nation without sin cast the first stone. Marilyn Robinson has said of our country recently, we no longer deal with one another as soul to soul, and the churches are as responsible for this as anyone. We churches have to fix that. It falls to us to open eyes to the complexities of life of individuals and nations, and more important, to the majesty of both and to their awesome responsibility. A little plucking and chopping can do a world good, making room for what it needs right now. Clear eyes, soft hearts, strong hands.